0: Talk Radio.
1: Good afternoon. This is Nick Augustine here with Mark Scroggins and guest James Whalen to talk about mixing criminal and family law issues. In this special episode, divorce family law attorney Mark Scroggins of Scroggins Legal in Plano, Texas, visits with criminal defense attorney James Whalen from the Whalen Office in Frisco about what happens when criminal law and family law issues come together and what that can mean for them and their clients. A few of the topics that we're going to cover today is criminal liability for invasions of privacy when involved with snooping, accessing other people's uh, emails, social media accounts, of course text messages, and accessing others' information generally for all sorts of nefarious purposes. We also have the wiretapping and recording of conversations issue that comes up from time to time. We'll also talk about revenge porn and shaming your spouse or their paramour. How can malicious image exploitations cause harm? We'll answer that. We'll also talk about revenge porn laws and whether they protect the victim adequately and also using private investigators in catching cheaters. Um, Family violence issues and criminal defense often intersect as well. We'll talk about protective orders and some limitations on things like gun rights that are involved with those. Uh, Also witnesses asserting their Fifth Amendment rights at protective order hearings also an interesting topic, as well as being wrongfully accused by those who abuse the system. We'll also talk about those who are maintaining a divorce and or family law case when one of the parties is arrested and uh, becomes a criminal defendant as well, Um, talking about things involving spending marital funds on bail and lawyers, the effect on child custody and visitation issues, and of course, an impact on employment and ability to pay support. Uh, again, I'm here with Mark Scroggins and James Whalen. Uh, I'd like to say good afternoon to you both.
0: Hey, Nick. How you doing?
1: Nick, how are you? Glad to be here. I am uh, happy to have a meeting of the minds on uh, some of these I- issues because it's always really fun, and I don't think that people understand why their family law attorney or their criminal law attorney will go and engage counsel with someone who is, uh, focuses in the other practice area, if you will. So we'll sort of talk about some of those issues, and um, I guess if we could just give a little overview
0: of what you all talked about uh, when conceiving this sort of talk today. Well, one of the things, James and I were having lunch the other day and, and talking about there's just so there's so much... Bleed between the two practices, and um, really and specifically in family law, we see more and more where it's important to seek the advice of criminal counsel, and especially someone like James that's board certified and you know has that level of expertise. Because now there are things that that come up that nobody used to even think about. I mean, you know, so like it used to be. First of all, there didn't used to be email. Okay. (laughs) But then, but then once there was email, you know, it was, it was commonplace. And when people were getting divorced, I mean, you'd go grab what your, your spouse's email was, you know, and you'd find stuff in there, you know, they're, they're talking back and forth with the person they're having an affair with and setting up dates and all that kind of crap. And nobody thought anything about it. Well, I'd say within the last 10 years, that has changed dramatically. Um, and so now there are these, a whole litany of different laws that can apply depending on the type of snooping, the type of medium upon which you're snooping, and all of these things so that now as a lawyer, you know, if someone comes to me and says, oh, well, I got all this stuff out of his email, you know, I'm like, I don't want to see that, you know, I don't want to find that, <laughs> just get it out of here. I don't want it. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up the phone and call James and say, look, I need you to consult with me on this and talk to my client about what are the legal ramifications of what they have already done. And then if we can obtain information, additional information, what, you know, what do we have to look at? What do we have to be careful to make sure that he or she is, is safe and we don't, we don't get up there and win the battle in family court but then lose the war in criminal court?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, James, this is qu- the question then becomes if someone is penalized in family court, let's say they say I'm going to go delete my social media accounts and they're not supposed to. They're violating standing orders. They've got a problem there. But at what point? may the court say you've got a criminal problem here and the person who's just going along through their divorce proceeding now is facing criminal liability. I think the biggest issue comes when people are accessing
2: other people's devices. I mean I think right now I currently represent a doctor who went through a a complainant's trash to find some information about bank accounts for example and he found some passwords and then went in there, and then entered the passwords into these people's email accounts. So when you're accessing other people's email accounts, there's multiple federal statutes that you could violate. It's the Storage Communication Act, the Wiretap Act, it's also the uh, Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, and those are all felonies. I mean, so depending on who you're accessing, what computer you're accessing or email account you're accessing, you could be committing several uh, federal felonies along the way. Uh, And I read a case recently where the the wife was – emailing the husband's work account so Hmm. he works for a major corporation you're accessing their computer server their email account I mean potentially that's a huge liability and so when you get into that what do you do when you get into the deposition in the family law case right and they start asking you now all of a sudden you're getting ready to admit to a federal felony that maybe they'll take maybe they they won't but you have that exposure now if you admit to it so now you've got a engage me to say i really don't want you to answer that uh, or get into that or maybe you settle the litigation so you
0: avoid that altogether so hey, let, let me clarify one thing also because one of the things you mentioned this guy found some stuff in the trash now as i understand it and i'm a neophyte in this area um but as i understand it finding the stuff in the trash what you find there is fine that's fair game
2: yeah totally he was okay solid ground to go through the trash run it's abandoned property right. case law is very clear right that's okay but once he took the information, found the account and the passwords and then started going into the computer, that's where it crossed the line. Mm-hmm. And so that's where he's got the liability.
0: Let me ask this cuz this is something that comes up all the time now. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've kind of gotten all into the, you know, I I do stuff on a Mac and I've got my iPhone and my iPad, you know, and I've got I've got my mother on stuff and my wife on stuff and the kid on stuff. And so you get these family share plans. And so it seems to me that there are additional problems there where, you know, you're going and accessing other people's information off of this family share plan. That kind of puckers me up. I can't tell you exactly where all the problems lie, mm-hmm. but am I correct in that we've got there's some issues there?
2: Yeah, I think you do because now not only are you going after the spouse, but now you are hacking into other people's email accounts. So now you're not committing one federal felony or state felony. Now you're committing multiple felonies because each person's account is going to be a different offense because they're different servers, different locations and where they are. And so I think you just multiply or compound the problem by getting into a device that has multiple accounts.
1: Right. And what I'm hearing and thinking about is a procedural issue where, you know, if someone's testifying in court, the judge may or may not make a note and say, Hey, Mr. District Attorney might want to take a look at this. But as we're talking about in the process of doing a deposition and someone uh, engages in admitting, a federal offense like that it may not be that the deposition stops or your family law attorney might not even may or may not catch that immediately that might be something to deal with but maybe the other party who makes note of that and now starts saying i'm going to go and independently start knocking down doors because i believe that you know my soon-to-be ex-spouse is committed a federal crime in the process of deposition Right, and I
2: think sometimes, most,
1: most of the time, you'll get
2: into the deposition and learn for the first time they did that. Because right. sometimes they never tell their lawyer, you know, how they got the emails. Don't worry, I got it. And then find out, well, I kind of hacked into a, you know, into a computer and they told you that after the fact. Uh, so, yes, I mean, we've had, I've seen lots of cases where the civil side, whether it's the family law or a civil case, that they'll then take all that information, package it up, for lack of a better word, send it over to the U.S. attorneys to see if we'll get any traction over at their office for a possible prosecution. So that does happen, and that's part of the things that people need to be watched out, you know, watching out for in civil litigation because they're going to shop these over to the U.S. attorney's office to to find some uh, a criminal prosecution.
0: Absolutely, I mean that's something that happens, and this is kind of, you know, Nick, you've heard me harp uh, on. The reasons that people should hire board-certified lawyers is because, you know, it it is a a heightened level of understanding and expertise that's tested and, you know, and verified uh, for somebody to be able to call themselves a specialist in a certain area. But this type of thing is a perfect example of why it's so important, because somebody who, you know, doesn't do this type of thing, uh, you know, every day, all day, and just kind of dabbles. <laughs> you know, they're not going to know what the traps are. and They're not going to know how to identify those traps. Right. And the last thing you want to do is be in a situation where you think that you've got the smoking gun. All right. And then we find out that, oh, guess what? That is uh, improperly and illegally obtained. Well, all of that all of that smoking gun evidence, all of that dynamite that you were going to use to blow your spouse, you know, out of the water, all the things that were going to really help you in the property division and and in the, the custody fight, well, all that goes away. You know, the, the case law is very clear on that with, you know, stuff that is uh, the fruit of the poisonous tree. You know, I remember that from when I was in law school, and God knows that was when. Long was Yeah. <laughs> Okay. that's right and uh you know but that's that's what's important because all that stuff that you can think that is so you know so good uh you know it just disappears and all cool. of a sudden you're between a rock and a hard place.
1: and the and the neophyte or younger lawyer who may dabble or you may have a younger associate who's you know thinks everything's going great and I, you know my opposing attorney's being so nice during this deposition they're smiling and smiling yeah because you're walking right into a trap and, you know, so it's the unknown unknowns, and I key into, you know, knowing what to do. Like, if that does come up in deposition, you know, Mark, what do you do, you know, when you get that question that might implicate your client with something with, um, you know, their Fifth Amendment rights and other things, you know.
0: Well, that's another that's another great... Pause uh, and call James, right? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, and that's... And when we talk about neophyte, I don't necessarily mean just a young lawyer, okay? I'm, I'm talking about someone that just isn't that experienced. I mean, so or doesn't have that much experience in this particular area. Or
1: whose number's on the sign by Albertsons that says uncontested divorce, $200. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. if Don't you're, if them. you're
0: dealing with somebody that does a volume practice on that, that's probably not who you want to, Right. you know, want to have represent you. And it's the same thing, you know, unless you, you know, the person, um, you know, well, that is going to assist you in these types of things. It's important because, you know, everybody's heard of being able to take the fifth, so to speak. But what the rules are in a criminal case versus what the rules are in a civil case on taking the fifth are, are vastly different. I mean, they're vastly different.
2: Right. It, Jen- she, it's vastly different, too, because the debate is why, I could, you know, on the civil side, they say, well, he can take the fifth on certain questions. Uh, where on the criminal side, if you hit the witness stand, once you waive it, you've waived it, and you're going to answer all those questions if you're on, on the witness stand. You can't say, well, I'm not going to answer that. It doesn't work that way on mm-hmm. the criminal side. And so I'm always cautious about when people say, well, can I take it a little bit or some of it? I'm generally of the view, if you're going to invoke it, invoke it, and just don't answer any of the questions because I'm always concerned about waiver. And a court's going to come in and say, hey, well, you waived it to that. You're going to waive it to the rest of it. And now you're stuck answering questions you don't Mm -hmm. need to be answering." So, um, you know, it's definitely, that's really the biggest concern. And then how do you navigate that? And I know it comes up in a lot, especially when we get to talk about protective orders, and there's going to be a hearing on that. You know, try to resolve it. You know, if you got to agree to that protective order and just because, so you avoid having to testify, that may be the greater good than getting up there and try to say, well, I got a story. Well, save your story for the criminal case if that eventually comes down. Again,
1: key advice between family and criminal attorneys, co counseling, and talking about this phone calls behind the scenes. I know another thing that people really like to talk about is recording and wiretapping. And to the extent that Texas law is a one party consent recording state where if I'm you and I are talking and I know I'm recording you, I can record you, but I can't record you talking to Mark from the other room. So people always say, well, I'm going to stick a recording device in my kid's backpack. I'm going to, you know, whatever because they think maybe mom or dad is doing something wrong, talking bad, or they're going to catch them admitting something that could hurt them um, in their case.
0: You definitely see that. I mean, it's clear that, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't surreptitiously, Take someone without either party of the conversation knowing about it. So just like what you were talking about, you know, you can't come in here and stick a li- uh, stick a listening device up under my desk and catch James and I talking about you know a particular case and and be able to use that. That just isn't going to happen. Um, but you know, there there are other areas that of uh, that go along with this that I find that are very interesting now. So you know, what if you've got someone, you know, is, is it the same type of thing if someone puts a, uh, oh, a um, GPS device on a car?
1: Or a keylogger on a computer. Well, in the,
0: yeah. So well,
2: yeah, and I think th- those issues, I mean, you, you can really get into some really interesting stuff. On the GPS, you know, the question is, you know, people put it on their kid's car all the time because, you know, that's their car and they can right. track it. But then can you put it on the spouse's car? And I guess that also gets into, you know, who owns the car, who didn't own the car. Is it joint for the You know, joint marital property, so they're free to do that. Um, So, and then, you know, the recording devices. Now, I I had a case where they were recording, this client was recording his lawyer, and there's multiple people in the room. So then the question was, well, did everybody else in the room know that the elevator story being recorded? And of course, they all said they did uh, because it helped them. But yeah, I mean, it's a very tricky area of the law, but a lot of people think, well, I'll just do the recording and think they're fine, but once again, they're walking into criminal liability all the time, and I think I tell people all the time, too, everything is turning out to be a crime now. I mean, if there's a civil component to it, there's a criminal side to it, Uh, especially every federal law that gets passed. There's a civil penalty. There's a criminal penalty. Same with the state law, so people have to be mindful of all these issues when they get into it, and I know in family law cases that emotions are high, you know, rationality is low. Um, and they're going to find themselves in a bigger mess uh, by doing some of these things they think will help them but
1: eventually hurt them. You know, there's right. also that sort of uh, that idea that, well, the, the DA's office is really busy uh, with the violent <laughs> criminals and things that are a major concern, especially when our prosecutors and judges all want to be reelected. And some people say, well, they're not going to bother with, you know, me, I'm a finance guy, so what if I looked at your – but you never know when something's going to happen or where someone needs to be made an example of. Or when a case gets taken up on appeal and people are going to hear about these things. So to assume that there are petty offenses never to be uh, actually prosecuted, I think, is a, is a naive view to take. Yeah, yeah to, to me, you don't want to be the
2: test case. I mean, because, and you don't know, you never know who knows who. That's right, absolutely uh, so right. There could be somebody <laughs> related to that family that has a good friend in the DA's office and says, hey, you know, they're going to take it. Not that politics should enter into it, but sometimes that's how things get decided, mm-hmm. uh, rightly or wrongly. Um, and so, and if it's a big enough case where they're committing perjury or it's a big enough breach, and it's a, you know, Collin County's uh, home of a lot of Fortune 500 companies, and somebody, you know, a CEO comes into the DA and says, look, these people hacked our server, and we're pretty upset about it. Okay, well, maybe we're going to prosecute that case. You just
1: don't know. Or, or that person's involved in the revenge porn right. thing, and which is salacious, and the news runs with it because, right. yeah, so those are the things that could... T- so
2: you just don't know, and maybe... You know, for that person's case is we got to shut this down because the judges are – say the judges are like, we're seeing this happen in all these family law cases. We need to send a message to everybody that this Absolutely. is not acceptable. So, Mr. DA, go prosecute one of these cases. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But,
0: as I said, why do you want to be the one that is the
2: test case to see what happens? You know,
0: and here's here's the other thing. I mean, a lot of, a lot of times when we start, you know, talking about, you know, tapings or uh buggings or things like that generally there are other legal ways to get all of that information you know when we talk about gps well you know how many people around dallas you know have have a toll, toll tag you know you can get information of where that toll tag has been and the different times that it's passed through different things Absolutely. and there are other ways to find find out what towers a cell phone has hit mm-hmm. and, you know there are a whole bunch of different ways to get this information. So instead of being, I will call it lazy, uh, and, you know, and to try to gather that information, there are other ways to do it. I mean, we can take forensic images of phones and of computers, and, you know, there are a whole bunch of different things out there where we can get the information. So don't uh, don't go the easy route. Talk to your lawyer first, you know, and find out, hey, I, I could get this, should I? <laughs> right. Right.
2: I mean, I think, you know, run it up the flagpole. Get some advice and rely on it. You know, right. going to the thing about toll tag. nobody carries cash anymore. So, I mean, you get the bank records, you're going to see where they've used that debit card, you know, every time. Absolutely. And you, and you know they're going to slip up, and there it is at 2 o'clock in the morning at some bar. Right. You know, where they said they were, at, you know, you know, home staying late at work or
1: something like that. So,
2: I mean – the infor- there's so much data out there that you can get it. It just requires some effort.
1: Well, right. and also per- we we don't we should not forget that we have uh, legal uh, uh, the you know the association of legal investigators out there used by family and criminal uh, defense attorneys a lot. And legal investigators have their own you know, everything that they go through and they are, you know, they don't mess up with the law. They're, they're very ethically bound as well. So a lot of times if people want to go the route of digging and finding things. I think legal investigators are great, but let's talk about revenge porn for a minute here. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of people have heard this, they're not really sure what it is. Maybe they don't want to be the one looking on a Google search on their computer because they're going to get divorced and it's going to come up later. so let's say that our CEO One of our uh, wonderful new companies who've moved to North Texas um, is in Collin County and there's a revenge porn situation and it's something that's going to hit the press. What is involved with this revenge porn? What is it? What are the laws that are there to protect victims? How is this used uh, by people who want to, you know, as an opponent? Uh, what's involved with this revenge porn, and how does it work with family and criminal?
2: Well, I, I would just simply say right now it, it is in flux because the Court of Appeals and Tyler just came back and said that law is unconstitutional because it's, it's vague, and it impri- infringes on some First Amendment rights. What did the law say? You know, I haven't looked at it, to be honest with generally. you. Generally. Really, generally, you can't post nude photos of other people uh, online without their consent and, 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 and use – those types of photos against them and to embarrass them, harass them, and humiliate them. Thing mm-hmm. and, and that's what people have been doing. Let me, you know, send this to their grandmother, put it on Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is. And so um, they've said it's unconstitutional. So now I think really we don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. My guess is it's going to go to the court of criminal appeals. And knowing our court of criminal appeals, I'm sure they'll find a way to make it constitutional right. in
1: some way, shape. Or so it kind of sounds of the privacy law right. arena.
2: Right, and so you know, and I, and I guess my you know my other thought is you know when you get into revenge porn, if you don't want anything to end up on the internet,
1: don't don't take it in the first place. place. <laughs> I mean,
2: it's kind of like we talk to our kids all the time. It's like, well, you know, just if you're not doing anything, you don't, don't put don't it out there. It. Right, right. Uh, well, so but I think it's one of those things. that's gonna, it's like anything else. Anything with social media, it's gonna get bigger and bigger and create more of these issues that we got to come across. And I think you know the hope is that some people just have good form, you know, good decorum, good you know, that they're not gonna stoop to this level to gain an extra dollar or a visitation of the kids in order to right to do that and then also commit a crime in the process. So I mean that'd be my hope for society. I don't know whether we're Mark
1: always that. says don't hit send in the first place. We want Mark Scroggins bumper stickers <laughs> that say, do not hit send.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean revenge porn is a I mean that's a, a jacked up situation. I mean you get got somebody that's trusting someone with the most intimate of content and then they break up down the road, and it's, you know, how dare you? I'm going to, you know, use this to harass you or to blackmail you. Or, or put or it on
1: a site where people can look and see if the person – I mean, there's sites out there. that um, We're following up with our social media and the bullying. There's websites out there for shaming people specifically for these things. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, that's – and so that's the problem. So what is what is the lesson one can learn from this? <laughs> don't, don't take or send nude photos photos of yourself to, right. you know, to, to anybody, you know? So, cause there's just, there's a risk, not to mention, I mean, you can look at, you know, there's been the rash of the stuff with all the different celebrities that, you know, it was, it was stored in iCloud. It wasn't, you know, and somebody hacked. And that's the thing. Everything is getting, you know, is getting hacked mm-hmm. these days. So it kind of goes back to what James was talking about. I mean, shit, if you've got something sitting out there, you know, just expect that somebody's going to be able to find it. You know, I mean...
1: (laughs) And and try that catfishing defense. Someone else stole those images and sent them pretending to be me. How about that? Well, I mean,
2: you know, you hear those stories and we have clients come in and tell you these stories and you know what are the chances of that happening? I mean, common sense has to prevail and be like, gee, that's a coincidence. That
1: <laughs> your picture specifically got stolen. What what is uh, what is our burden of proof in this situation? You know what I mean? I mean, so
2: it's just you know, no one's
1: gonna believe that story. Right in the, the day. Let's right. talk about family violence,
0: mm-hmm. family
1: violence, and criminal defense. Talking about protective orders, gun rights that are involved, people who abuse the system. Um, uh, tell us about some of the types of phone calls Criminal and family law attorneys Have
0: with one another Well let's talk about the intersection in protective Orders okay because James just hit On an area that is is really Important um, and that is You know is there a criminal case Attached to it and When you get when you're dealing with a Protective order I mean It is a It is a serious situation That can have far-reaching implications with employment and other issues. But just like James said, there are times where you just got to kind of suck it up and take it and understand that, you know, that's the best bad decision that you can make because there are other scenarios where, you know, you don't want somebody getting up there and, and tell them that story right. in full if there's going to be a criminal the case. The less of
1: a record Come. you leave, the better.
0: Right,
2: right. And, and and sometimes in those protective orders, there can be some, the way they're resolved can also help the person potentially down the road in the criminal case. Um, because usually in most protective orders, they'll say, look, they got to take a uh, batterer's intervention program or anger management. And if they successfully complete that, then you can then use the completion of that over in the criminal case where say, look, they've already completed that, will you agree to dismiss it or reduce the offense to something or maybe dismiss it outright as a condition of dismissal? So that's helpful. Also, we always try to see, make sure it's not, uh, there's no affirmative finding of family violence in the order. Uh, you just kind of want to make sure that, that you can just say, hey, it was an agreed order, the judge didn't make any specific findings, and that somewhat can be helpful down the road uh, in the criminal case. And then hopefully... You know, once everybody, once, and usually I would say too, I try to get the family law case settled, because usually then all the uh, desire to prosecute the criminal case goes away because that leverage is is deteriorated because now the family law case is settled. They've got their property or their leverage is gone now in the criminal case. So, um, but those are the kind of issues that, you know, we try to work with family lawyers to think about to help the person in the criminal side later on down the road. So, um, and then as far as gun rights, if there's an affirmative finding, of um, family violence, that they're done possessing a firearm. They can't possess a firearm Why that order's in effect. Uh, and So when we come across clients who are very adamant about own their guns, they're hunters and all that stuff, they don't mm-hmm. really like that answer, but it has those ramifications down the road too. Um, so things to think about when we're in these protective orders.
1: The thing that always strikes me mm-hmm. about protective orders is not being allowed to be within so many feet of another person, but you don't necessarily know where they are, you don't know they could have moved and you could be visiting somewhere thinking you're completely lawful. And guess what? The person with the protective order is across the street and you'd have no way to know it.
0: Well, I mean, I I can tell you in my experience, again, not like this happens all the time, but that could happen. Well, it, it can. Okay. But in my experience, I haven't seen somebody get in trouble in a situation in a scenario like that. Now I have seen someone get in trouble in a scenario where they just keep popping up at the most unlikely of places, you know, across the street at, you know, mm-hmm. at some deal. And it doesn't happen once, but it happens four times. You know, then everybody's going, yeah, this isn't just a, a coincidence. You know, this is something something funny is going going on. But, um, you know, if, if you've got a protective order against you and you're out at, you know, the balloon fest, you know, and you see your – You know the person against, or the person who has a uh, protective order against you, you just turn and go the other way. (laughs) Yeah, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean it's about using common sense, right? It's just like, and here's the other thing too is parties can't agree to just ignore the protective order, right? You know, and you got to be careful that just because oh wait maybe we're gonna kiss and make up, hey come on over and see the kids or it'll be okay I won't tell anybody. You know, that's a trap. You can't just unilaterally decide, hey, we'll just agree to just ignore the court's order. And then really sometimes that is just simply a trap. And I tell my clients all the time, do not fall for the old, hey, it's okay, come on over, because you're setting yourself up for an issue. And and also, when there is a protective order in place, and if there is an allowance to exchange kids and all that stuff, make sure you bring somebody with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you don't want to get accused of violating that protective order, because that's a Class A misdemeanor. That's up to a year in the county jail. There's serious ramifications for that. And, you know, there's three basic cases that the DA's office pays attention to the most. And it's, you know, the child sex cases, the DWIs, and the family violence cases. So the things that are going to get the most attention is in the violation of protective orders, family violence, uh, et cetera. And so you've got to be real mindful of it, because it makes the cases harder to resolve sometimes especially if you have a family violence case and then find out you violated the protective order, now they're not going to have that much sympathy or be willing to work with me to help them as much because they're not abided by the court's rules. So those things, those are the traps for, them, for
1: people that are subject to them. Right. Any other comments about uh, Fifth Amendment issues and rights? No, I, I think, you know, it's becoming more and more I do. It's nice that, you
2: know, lawyers like Mark, you know, have an understanding that, hey, look, we could be walking into a criminal problem and to get a criminal lawyer to come in just to give some advice. I mean, I've been in plenty of situations where here's the ramifications here if you go in there and give that deposition what you can admit to. Now, like every client, they're free to take the advice or reject the advice, and I've had some clients go, no, I'm going to give the deposition anyway. And I said, that's fine, you know, and it, but if that happened, you know, backfires on you. Just make sure, I, you know, you heard it from me, what could potentially happen. Uh, and so, because I think there is a lot of lawyers that are not experienced enough, not board-certified lawyers, who haven't had the situations that come up with these issues and they inadvertently walk their clients into uh, criminal situations or they think, oh, don't worry, it doesn't apply here, so it's not going to matter over there. And they just don't see how everything intersects with each other on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully people, if they listen to this, can, you know, think of it. Just think about it. Just even if you have a question, maybe just pick up the phone. Whether you call James Whalen or anybody else, just ask the question first before
1: you do it at least get some perspective on it and maybe protect your client in in the long run. Absolutely. My final question is about some, I suppose, strategy when you have a family law case and a criminal law case is woven in to that. Let's say the petition has been filed, family law case has just started, and either one of the parties is arrested and charged with a DWI Or there is a family violence situation that occurs between the parties. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I can think of issues involving, uh, you know, child, you know, placement decisions, conservatorship, access, um, you know, not to mention issues of support. If the person is sitting behind bars and can't work, you know, now what happens? Do we know that they're getting out of jail? I mean, all sorts of things can happen. And we see some of these sensationalized cases on TV um, but it can really happen to real people in real life, you know, here in our
0: area. Oh, there's no question. I mean, uh, you know, and and with all, with all the stuff that you just brought up, I mean, so much is determined by, you know, if you talk about a DWI, did they, was it just them? Did they get arrested with the kid in the car? Or if the kid's in the car, it's a felony. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can.
1: <clears throat> what that you, do to your
0: divorce case, you know? It creates all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. Now, you know. I think that the family violence, in my opinion, is much more difficult to rehabilitate someone for. Um, If you've got somebody that's got drug or alcohol issues, um, I think the courts have gotten dramatically better of understanding the disease aspect of addiction. And there are things in place now. That's why you've got places like Hannah's House or you have, you know, um, private – supervised possession people that you can put in place that will supervise uh possession schedules and and things of that sort but also the courts are good about you know i a lot of the time in a situation like that i'm going to bring in someone who's an addictionologist okay who's going to have run this person through a bunch of tests to make a determination of you know was it was this a one-off or is this something that you know they're they're a hard drinker or you know uh know, a little different if it, you got somebody that's you know doing coke or meth or something like that. I'm not aware of a whole hell of a lot of recreational use of those. Uh, but with with the drinking, you find some of that. So it could be someone wrong place, wrong time. What is more likely is that you know this is kind of what has been coming down the pipe for a while, and then you get someone involved in an addictionologist who helps them to understand what's going on, and then they you you put basically a kind of a safety plan, for lack of a better way of putting it, in place that helps that person go through, understand the disease aspect of what they've got and trying to do what is best for them. And then when a court sees that happen, the court's very forgiving, you know, because you got to remember the public policy in the state of Texas is that both parents should have a relationship with their child. So you've got to really screw the pooch to get that taken away.
1: Right, right. Yeah. You might also call James Whalen Law Office, and they say, "Hey, James, how can you get me into a diversion program for one of these things?"
2: Well, here DWI, you're never going to get into a diversion program. Uh, it's
1: just <laughs> Maybe that, if you're a veteran,
2: and there's a veteran court, and that's a whole, you know, a whole different area. You know, the family violence case, family violence issue is always kind of interesting too about timing, right. uh, because if the family violence occurs after the divorce is filed, then potentially, what was the motivation? Did it really happen? Uh, was their motivation on one of other parts of gain game leverage in the divorce mm-hmm. to then make the accusation of family violence. And so you really got to kind of parse it out of, you know, the timing matter uh, because maybe they've already talked to a lawyer who said, Hey, you know, if there's a affirmative finding of family violence, you might get spousal maintenance. Mm-hmm. You might, it might change your custody arrangement. And lo and behold, next thing you know, you know, he or she knows how to push their buttons and there's a family violence allegation. And, and what the public doesn't know too, or maybe does know is when you pick up that phone and tell the police to come, and there's family violence and there's evidence of it. Somebody is going to jail. Okay, there is no discretion anymore. Of hey, pack your bag and go spend the night. I watch
1: a lot of PD on Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah, I learned so much. And the, that the thing's recording the second you hit the last one on 911. Right.
2: And so you know, sometimes the timing of it can really gain you some leverage in the criminal case because you're like, what was the motivation here? You know, right. There's a divorce going on, and so you know what's really happening. So, uh, but it does. I mean, obviously, it creates issues on. The family law side, because certainly if the person is abusive, you know that's going to affect them. But sometimes you really have to look at these: is did it really happen, or was it something that got created to gain leverage?
0: So, See, and that's actually a perfect example of what do you do in the family law case, and what do you do in the criminal case? Because in that situation, you know that that the complainant, you know, is 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 going to follow through and say that, oh boy, yeah, it, it took place. I got beat up and this, that, and the other, and so then you're likely facing a protective order, and you've got to decide, do do I just grin and bear it, or do I lay it out there saying, you know, this is a bunch of BS, right. and here's what happened, and that's that's a hard decision.
2: Right. Well, and then the other thing, you know, while I was sitting here thinking about it, is maybe you do have the protective order, and I'm in the room to watch the hearing, but helping Mark to say, hey, can you make sure you ask this question? Right. Or can you make sure you can ask it this way and get mm-hmm. this answer? Right. Because then, at that point, you've locked he or she into her their story, uh, and then maybe you take that transcript and go to the DA and say, look, she said she didn't feel pain. She said, no, that didn't happen. Or she got caught in a lie, and they're going to dismiss the criminal case. So, it, you know, there's some strategy that can be
1: had there in the interplay of these
2: protective orders and family violence.
1: Absolutely. How about this conversation between counsel when you think that, you know, speaking of stories and narratives, that your own client is giving you, as much as they think that you need to know, and to represent them, and they'll give you enough, but maybe it's not the whole story. And I'm surprised, all, and we, I see this, I've seen this from the people who are higher, higher up in, in their positions in the world. Um, Seem still not to understand that lawyers and judges have usually seen it before.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you know I think when you represent people that, you know, have high stature and things like that, they're, there's an embarrassment factor. They don't want to be sitting in our office. They don't want to have to own up to the fact that they maybe have done something that's not their best. It wasn't their best day, you know, but it's trying to get them to understand we need to know everything, right? You know, we're not here to judge you. We're not here. We're here to help you. In order to help you, we've got to know the good, the bad, the ugly, because then now I or Mark know how to react to that. The worst thing you could do is be sitting in a trial or hearing, Hear something for the first time and look over your client and go, that would have been nice to know. Right. Um, and so, they have to trust, you know, you have to develop that trust with the client. And, you know, part of having our expertise that we do, you know, we can build that trust and say, look, just tell us. We've heard it before. I don't think at this point in our careers there's
1: anything we haven't (laughs) seen. And not to to mention the leverage in settling cases where people don't want, if I've done something that wasn't my best day and I'm on that CEO track, I don't want someone who's going to be a business competitor to leak that information down the road and get what's public information. So, I would be concerned about the least amount of information being out there available to people that's even if it is sealed.
2: Right. Well, I mean, just remember this, too. You know, a courtroom is a public place. Right. I mean, there's been plenty of times I've been walking through the courthouse. Mm -hmm. You'd run into a neighbor, a guy from Y Princesses. I mean, mean, because they're not calling you because they don't want you to know it. But you're at the courthouse all the time, and you're running right. to your best friend. Hey, why are you doing here? And you get that awkward <laughs> silence, you know what I mean? And so, you know, people got to be aware of My before, kid's here for career day. <laughs> right. Before you get into some, you know, long, retracted battle of, you know, hey, I'm going to show her or show him, you don't know who's watching. You don't know who's there watching what's going on. And if you want to keep it quiet, you know, maybe you be the bigger person or better person to figure out a way to resolve it and move on without too much fanfare. And one of the things that, you know, I try to do as criminal lawyer is, You know, we try to do it, you know, very discreetly if we can, you know, in those types of cases because, you know, we're not going to be sitting there holding press conferences or making a big deal. You know, sometimes you'll show up to DACA a day early. So, you know, they don't know if the case is getting resolved on a day. Sure. To be able to handle that way, so you protect their privacy the best you can
1: uh, during those tough situations. Absolutely. James, if people wanted to get a hold of you, uh, for more information, what is the best way for them the to be The best way, uh,
2: call the office, 214-368-2560 is the main number, or visit the website, which is www.waylandlawoffice.com. Either of those two ways, you can get a hold of us we'd be glad to help. And your office is located in Frisco, sir? We're in Frisco. We've been there a year and a half, but uh, been we've been at it for 22 years and uh, really love what we do and uh, glad to help people.
1: And you serve clients all over the area?
2: Yes. We serve both federal state clients, and, you know, we'll go to any place, state of Texas, United States, if they have an issue,
1: we can handle it. Absolutely wonderful. And, Mark, for all the people who want to talk to you about how not to have that record out there, because someone's going to find it, And use it against them. Right.
0: You can always get me at the office, 214-469-3100, or you can go to scrogginsfamilylaw.com or scrogginslegal.com and uh, get us there as well.
1: All right, with offices here in Plano and there in Dallas. That is correct. All right, wonderful. Well, I thank you all for listening, and, and just like we said, in the courtroom, no one ever says, hey, hey, neighbors, I'm going to be in court today. Same reason people don't necessarily wear it on their sandwich board, that they're going through an issue like this. And we know that people don't always like to hit that like button or that share button on their on their on their Facebook page when they see one of our posts. But so please do uh, share with people, uh, you know, whether you're doing it overtly or not, or just share, hey, this might be good for anyone whose friend has an issue. Um, you know, because that's why we do these programs to help people find good information. (laughs) And and just to chime in, I always, everyone says, I'll never need your car, James. I go, I know you won't, but your friends might. Your friends (laughs) (laughs) might. All right. With that, we are done. We will be back next, uh, next month with Struggins Legal and another, a wonderful episode, hopefully with new, more fun guests. We really like doing this with guests. So all good. Please be good to one another. And that is all. This is Nick Augustine with, Again, with uh, Mark Scroggins and James Whalen, we've enjoyed this time. Please, again, do share this with others and call one of the attorney's offices if you do have a question. Thank you very much. Bye-bye
0: now. Thanks. All right. All right.